Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for another day. For Lord, each day is a gift given by you. And Lord, I pray that you might move in this place, that your spirit might be gracious to us, and that you would use me to speak. Lord, I, I pray against any forces of darkness brought into this place by any commitments or um, assignments that he may have here. We break you off in the name of Jesus. You have no place and you have no space here. And so you must be silent and you must go. Father, as we approach your throne, we ask that you be gracious to us, that you would do far more than the heart of man can imagine. Amen. How many of you have ever moved from one home to another? Raise your hand. Pretty much everyone, right? At some point, you left your mom's house, and now you're here. Um, maybe not. Maybe not for my youth students. That's okay. You'll move someday. Um, I've moved, and typically a move goes something like this. You see a lot of work before you. So you call all your friends and family, especially those who own a big car, and you ask them to come to your home because you'll have donuts and pizza so that they might help you. And this feels overwhelming. Or how many of you guys have ever been through a home remodel? Anyone ever remodeled their home? Um, The people who are married and who remodel their home, they always give me and my wife the same advice which is if you love each other, don't remodel your home. I don't know what that means. I've never done that. I don't know if it's picking out the granite or the floor, but something about it causes a lot of tension. And it makes me think of a story actually when Danielle and I moved. And so when we moved from our house in Aliso Viejo to where we are now in Norwalk, it was about one week after Danielle's surgery. And so she was pretty much down for the count. And the last thing on her mind was moving. And so with about 24 hours till I handed the keys over, the apartment looked like nothing had happened. Not well, one box was set aside, not a couch was moved. Our house was set up and it was very overwhelming. The timing for my wife and I was just, it was a scary time. It was a really hard time. And I didn't know how I was gonna get it done. And so I started calling people And God's family and our friends just showed up. And so it looked like I had our aunt come out and help me for about 12 hours, pack up all the boxes. The next morning, I had a group load me into the U-Haul, one of which was one of those like Tetris people. You guys know who you are. And got everything in the U-Haul, which didn't seem possible. They drove with me an hour up to the new place. And a new group helped us unpack unpack boxes, move furniture around, hang up pictures, and the whole house was set up in about 48 hours. We went from fully set up in one place to fully set up in another place in less than two days. That was so encouraging for my wife and I. It took a situation that was overwhelming, scary, and hard, and was a tangible way that we felt God's love through his body. And church, we're going on a move. Amen? And we're all excited, and we should be. I know I am. And not only are we moving, we're renovating. 
there's lots of things when you get to this new building that you're going to see and think, that should look different. <laughs> and we're excited about it. But church, anytime we, you go through a move, it's hard, it's overwhelming, it leaves a lot of opportunity for frustration and division over things that we expect or hope for. And it can either be something that's very isolating and dividing, or it can be something where we really see the tangible work of the Holy Spirit through us. And as I reflected on this, I felt led to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So if you could take out your Bibles and open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking to the church of Corinth, which is a young church. It's an immature church. It is a frustrating church to Paul. And this church really loved the gifts of the Spirit. And if you read farther into 1 Corinthians 3, you would see that the Holy Spirit was active and moving in their body. And yet Paul addresses them pretty harshly. And so in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 1, or 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, it says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready. You see, even though the church of Corinth worked in the gifts of the Spirit, and they would have seen themselves as very spiritually insightful people, Paul sees them as infants in their faith. Now that might even be a bit confusing to us, because if we see someone operating in spiritual giftings, especially this, this group love praying in tongues, and we'll find that out later if you kept reading. If we saw people doing that, you might think and be tempted to think, oh, those are spiritually deep people. But Paul sees them as infants, which was not a compliment. And he says they were not ready. And here's why in verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Paul doesn't call them infants because they don't understand how to pray in tongues. He doesn't call them infants because they aren't trying to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. He calls them infants because they're divided over things that are insignificant to the gospel. And if we read earlier in chapter 1, he addressed the same thing. He says, some say, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ. And he says, is Christ divided? Church, as we move, we're going to be tempted. And we're going to see the enemy try to work against our plans for unity and love if we're not united in Christ. We've already seen it as a congregation. We've seen accidents. We've seen sickness. We've seen frustrations. And I know as leadership, we feel it and we see it. The enemy would love to plant seeds of division in our church through this move. And that will dis I'm not saying we're infants. We're not. I'm not saying we're immature. We're not. But this move has opportunity 
to cause division and show any immaturity we may still have. Or it can be an opportunity to see the tangible work of Jesus. You see, I think the temptation, and I I was talking with a friend who is in ministry at another church, and he said at budget time, he feels like a politician or something, fighting for his funds and his resources for his ministry because he has all these great ideas and wonderful things that he wants to see done. Church, we are not politicians working for the betterment of our ministry. If we look to say, I serve youth, I follow kingdom kids, I want outreach, we are divided. And is Christ divided? We are a body of believers working for one goal. And it's, if we have that division, it's because we don't understand our roles in this church. And so let's turn and see how Paul saw his role in the church of Corinth in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. And we're going to pause there. He says, what am I? I'm a servant doing the work assigned to me by the Lord. And he then puts it in a metaphor, in a story. And he says, like a farmer, I planted seed. Apollos came and watered that seed. But God is in charge of growing the seed in his field for his purpose, for his glory. It makes me think of on my property, we, uh, our landlord... I don't own the property. I just live on it. The landlord grows corn. He grows corn every year, lots of corn, and it's great. He hires someone to come out and till the ground. We can see him out there working it. And then he, and he hires more people, come and plant seeds. And then someone waters it, and someone comes out and harvests it when it's time. And then I get a big bag of corn on my door. And you know what I say? Thank you to my landlord. He did not plant the seed. He did not till the ground, but it is his corn. Church, we are working in a field as servants. Not for our glory, but for his. Not for our thanks, but for his. I think there's temptation to want to be more than a servant. And I get it. We all have great goals. I'm sure we all have wonderful ideas. I'm sure that you guys, we're a smart bunch. There's no denying that. But we got to be a reliant bunch. He goes a step further and says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labors. Church, we need to do the tasks assigned to us, not the task we want to assign ourselves. And I think we're tempted sometimes when we get a good idea or a good thought to think that this is God's will. Maybe. Maybe not. And so we need to really pray and ask the Lord to reveal his assignments for us in this new building, in the city of Pasadena, so he can get the thanks. 
Now, does that mean we don't have any part to play? Does that mean, okay, great, I can just sit back and pray that Lord's will comes to pass in this building? Um, I don't think so, because we're going to get wages according to our labors. And so let's see what Paul says in verse 10 about his abilities. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He starts by saying he has skills. Paul did have skills. And he used those in accordance with the assignment the Lord had for him. Paul was the founding pastor of the Corinth church, which was a very big church. And he may have felt tempted to say, look at what I've done. Church, if we come to this new building and we do lots of great things, and it's not on the foundation of Jesus, then it's not the church. Then it's something completely separate. You guys ever built a shed? And if you built the, like, the wood base here, and then you're like, oh, no, I'm going to come and build the wall. I'm going to build it right here. It wouldn't make any sense. It's not the same foundation anymore. So, church, we need to build on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? Okay, great. I want to build on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, Paul goes a step further to say, even if you're building on the house, actually, there's more to it. So let's keep filling this out before we get there. Turn with me to verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Paul is saying there's two kinds of ways we can build on this foundation. In a manner of gold, silver, and precious stone, or in a manner of wood, hay, and straw. And someday, at the end, when we stand before the Lord, we won't be able to hide behind the results. We won't be able to say, look how great a ministry I built. Look how many people came to Jesus. The Lord's going to know what material we built out of. Some things are going to have eternal significance, and other things are going to have eternal insignificance. As someone who is a, in ministry and, and is a ministry leader and hopes to see the youth firmly founded in Christ, this is, feels heavy on me. Because if I have any other motivation, church, of look how good of a program I can build. Look how many kids are coming. Look at the great growth and service that these kids are doing. Look at me. The Lord will know, and the day will disclose it. That's scary to me. And that would not be being built on Jesus. 
and could lead to great disunity going forward. Because when we're doing things for our purpose and our glory, we hold them tight. When we do things for Jesus' purpose and God's glory, we hold them loosely. Because it's much more easy if we say, Lord, have your way and use me. And then he does something different than I'm imagining to say, this is good. This is great. Thank you, God. But if I build and I'm thinking, I got plans. No, we got to do this because this is what's going to work. That's going to be really scary. (laughs) It's not going to work. Paul takes this idea of unity really, really seriously. And I think we should too. And if we're building on a foundation other than Jesus, the opportunity for dysfunction and division is high. And the devil would love to build on that. Here's how seriously Paul takes this in verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. If you've been reading ahead, you may have read this first, these two verses and been a little confused. And I'm happy you're reading ahead because anything in here is probably better than anything I'm saying anyways. But this verse is confusing, and that's because... We read it through a lens of our culture. And we're very used to reading these things in a way that says, you personally are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we accept Jesus Christ in our life, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. And that is true. And the proof text for that is 1 Corinthians 6, not 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3 says something more along the lines of, do you all not know that you all are the temple and that God's spirit dwells in you all? And you all are that temple. You see, or better yet, the body of Christ is the temple of the Holy Spirit, plural. We all are that temple. Living way, community, church, you are that temple. And if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Paul is taking it very seriously. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that if the church is doing something and you're like, I don't know about that, you're going to hell? No, that's not what it means. Or if you see a member doing something, you have some disagreements about things you would like to see done at the new building that you're in big trouble? No. But what it does mean is that if you're intentionally sowing division, Paul doesn't seem to think it's a good idea. And so, church, as we go, if you feel bitterness, if you feel frustrated, what are you doing with those emotions? Are you praying about them? Are you bringing them to the leadership, giving us a chance to pray with you and hear you? Or are you going to your friends and hyping them up about how bad things are going, about how we're misusing things and how oh, I'd really like to see, I don't know, this classroom used for this purpose? Are we going around and are we intentionally sowing division and destroying the temple, plural, of Jesus? Paul seems to take it very seriously. The devil would love to utilize those feelings of bitterness and frustration 
And it makes me think of when Danielle and I were first in ministry and first married. Every Saturday, we seemed to get in a fight. It would start out small, someone wouldn't wash a cup or wouldn't use a coaster, and it would turn into, why do you not love me? Why don't you just respect me enough to wash this cup? I've told you 18 times to rinse the spoon before it's in the dishwasher, and now the spoon is still dirty. And these small things that would start small would turn into these huge issues, and they couldn't be resolved before Sunday service. So we'd go, and we'd, let's not talk about it. We're just going to go, and we're going to serve the Lord, and we're going to like it, okay? (laughs) And we would go, and we would try our best, but we wouldn't be there. We wouldn't be present. We'd have a really hard time because we were ununited. So I brought this up to some of my mentors, and luckily they saw a pattern that I did not. They're like, do you see it? Do you see the pattern? I said, no, it's Saturday. You're calling me Sunday night to help resolve this issue because you had it last night. Notice anything? No, I don't because I'm not that smart. But they were... Fortunately, and they said, you need to be a united front on Saturdays. You need to make a decision to be united on Saturdays. They gave me some practical points of what that looked like. Shelving conversations, letting small things be small, and most importantly, to pray. And so we tried it. And I cannot tell you how many times we would be fighting and things would be getting intense emotionally and going down a path that didn't make any sense. And we would pray that the Lord would be gracious to us, that the Lord would unite us. And we pray against the footholds we were giving the enemy. And I cannot joke, in moments, we would feel extremely different. It was like something would just let go of us and we could see the problem for what it is, something small and insignificant. And we'd be able to be united. Church united is not indifferent complacency. I want to make sure we understand that. That doesn't mean that when Danielle have problems, I go, whatever, I don't care. It's a stupid cup. I'm moving on. It doesn't mean that when we see things we don't like happening or things that we would do differently happening at the new building, we go, ugh. Who cares? I'm just going to not talk about it, and I'm not going to think about it. That's not unity. That's non-confrontation. That's not the same thing. Because even in the non-confrontation, the devil would love to get places and spaces in your life and sow seeds of division and get you walking out those doors. We need to pray for unity. When we feel those creeping up, those things, and we're feeling divided over the small things, we need to ask the Lord to give us fresh eyes. We need to come to the people who we have frustration with and talk to them. We need to be united. Because the big things are the big things. Is Christ divided? We are servants in a field working for our wage for God's thanks. Now, does this mean you need to let go of every hope and dream? 
that you have for this property and building and our church's ministry in Pasadena? I don't think so. It just means we need to be on the same page as God and not on our own page. And let's see what Paul says in verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. Church, your hopes and your dreams and your skills are all necessary for this church and for a living way and to see a great work done in Pasadena for the glory of God. But we cannot be deceived that our wisdom is God's wisdom. They are not the same. They are different. And that's a bit intimidating to me, personally. Because if Living Way gets built on my wisdom, I'm going to get caught in my craftiness, and my thoughts will be futile. They will not be useful for the kingdom of God. We need to be in alignment with God's assignment for us. We need to do it. If you're feeling discouraged, you shouldn't, and Paul doesn't seem to feel discouraged. For he ends with, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's. He says, you don't need to worry about the fact that your wisdom is folly because you are God's and God has everything. God is in perfect control of the ministries we will see in Pasadena. He is in perfect control of the people who will come, the lives that will be changed, and the people and communities that we will influence. It's all already his. Church, we want to be a light in Pasadena for Jesus Christ, yeah? God wants a light in Pasadena for Jesus' glory. It's not our job to do more than God's assigned us, nor is it our job to do less than God's assigned us. It's our job to do what God has assigned us, which means we need to know what God has assigned us. And so the main application to this is to pray. And I think I would be remiss if I didn't give us that opportunity to pray. And so I'd like you to do that. We're going to take 10, 12 maybe even 15 minutes, and pray. And first, I'd like you guys to pray and that God would reveal to you what hopes, dreams, desires do you have for this property, that he would reveal to you the hidden things in your heart and the things you would like to see. So let's, let's take a moment and let's pray.